The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the world of New York City real estate. At this hour so, you want to live in Brooklyn? Good luck. With sales inventory dropping significantly as median house prices rise, it's becoming increasingly difficult, more difficult, to buy a home in the borough, according to new data from the real estate listing site StreetEasy, our favorite person these days. We have Noah Kaplan from the Ryan Sirhunt team at Nest Seekers here today, and we will discuss that also at this hour as top brokers make jumps from one firm to another and well-established brokerages open outposts in the outer boroughs. The residential real estate industry is experiencing a new wave of young people as the profession modernizes. I'm sitting here with a group of very young, successful millennials in this business, and we will get into that. Plus, the panel is here for hot topics as usual. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco. And each week, we bring you all the news that is relevant to your real estate success, regardless of what part of the process or side of the process you are on or belong to. You can always email me here at the show or at vrocco at halstead.com. In the news today, NBC News anchor, a little over three months ago, Lester Holt uh, sold his Nomad condo for $6.4 million. That's just $200,000 less than what Holt and his wife were asking for the spacious condo. The couple purchased the apartment back in 2007 for $3.3 million, so it seems that they have turned a neat profit on it as well. The apartment is located in the landmark 225 Fifth Avenue, which was built in 1906 and has served in the past as a hotel, a warehouse, and a showroom. In 2006, the Allot Group converted the 13-story Beaux Arts building into a luxury condo that's now known as the Grand Madison. The Holtz apartment spans 2,100 square feet and comes with three bedrooms and two and a half bathrooms. Closings are now underway on the Flatiron District's tallest building, the Madison Square Park Tower. The sale of two condos of the 65-story skyscraper has hit public record. One, a three-bedroom apartment that sold for $6.4 million and a two-bedroom unit that sold for $7.2 million. The Continuum Company developed the building and it features a total of 83 apartments and a majority of them are already in contract. The rest that are available are priced from $2.75 million and go up to $48 million. That apartment in the bill is the building's listing, is the building's crowning penthouse, rather, and it came on the market at the end of June this year, $48 million. Uh, so just when you think there can't possibly be any more ridiculously huge and pricey apartments left at 432 Park Avenue, the marketing team just unveiled a new full-floor $82 million penthouse. This particular penthouse on the building's 95th floor is one of the only full-floor units remaining in the super tall. The apartment covers 8,255 square feet, six bedrooms, seven bathrooms, 12-foot ceilings, and a wood-burning fireplace, two powder rooms, a large library, and room for a grand piano. 
Moving on, Sting and his wife, Trudy Styler, have decided to part ways with their duplex penthouse in Robert A.M. Stern's 15 Central Park West Trophy Building amid rumors that the couple are scoping a pad in the architect's newest building along Central Park. The high-profile couple has listed their 16th and 17th floor duplex for $56 million. The couple purchased the apartment for just shy of $27 million in 2008. The apartment includes 44 feet of frontage along Central Park that's padded with a nearly 400-square-foot terrace. The interior is old, is nearly 5,500 square feet, and it includes three beds and a home office. Three beds and a home office for $56 million. Wow. Isn't that something? Another day, another carefully curated home in New York City hits the market with an enormous price tag. This time, it's a $17.5 million townhouse on the Upper West Side. The house is located at 18 West 75th Street and was, for a spell, a 10-unit apartment building, but after an investment firm purchased the home in 2015, they turned it and transformed it into a huge 8,770-square-foot single-family home. Now it has five bedrooms, six bathrooms, and two powder rooms over seven floors. And yes, there is an elevator, though the listing description doesn't reveal much. There are plenty of photos that offer a peek inside the space. Douglas Elliman in New York has the listing. So, good morning, everybody. Morning, Vince. Morning. 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 I'm here today with Ray Lord from Douglas Elliman, Sean McPeak from Compass, Parul Brombat from Compass, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Matthew Cohen from Core, and special guest panel today, Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International. Boy, that's a mouthful, and what a crowd here this morning. Thank God we have air conditioning. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I start the past couple of weeks with the same question. So, how are we all feeling about Street Easy these days? <laughs> Feel free. Am I the only broker that's not focused on it? I feel really bad saying no, that. I am too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I give a lot of props to Phil and everything you've been doing for it. Um, Thank you. You know, I think you've really been spear, you and Revenue have been spearheading, you know, going <laughs> against <laughs> it. Strong term. Yes. But, um, but I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think that eventually once rentals are over, it'll transfer into the sales side of it too? No, so I'm. Uh, thank you, by the way. I think one of the one of the things I you know I left I left Corcoran uh, a couple months ago, so it's given me some freedom that I could actually speak my mind. If I was still an agent at Corcoran, I couldn't say some of the things that a lot of people are feeling. So as an agent, that is just. I mean, it's. I've said this before, but it's such a gut punch because I remember the promises they made to us to basically become Street Easy. They made all these promises to brokers, and essentially are now doing things very underhanded, very deceptive, confusing to consumers, confusing to brokers. So I feel like this is the beginning of the end. I feel so strongly about it. I think you're right. I think you're totally right. This is one of these things that's a massive, massive uh, problem, like a massive decision breakdown in their sort of, in their strategy. I cannot believe what a colossal mistake this is for them. And I think they have no idea who they're dealing with. The reason why Street, sorry, Zillow never was able to make it in New York City before Street Easy came in here was because of the way things are set up here. And so for them to think that they could all of a sudden turn Street Easy into Zillow, it's just not going to work. And you see the pushback. So I believe that there will be other people that are going to come out. You are 100% right. And I think it's only a matter of time before we see the the real result of what, you know, their new business model is or their plan is. I'd like to see that everybody boycotts the site. And you know what? It's going to happen. Actually, and I was just going to say that. I'm so proud of Compass's stance on this. And they're taking a stance based on what is what is ethically and sort of long-term right for Correct. the industry. Mm-hmm. 
I'm genuinely, I have to say, and I've worked, I mean, I was at Corcoran for five years before I was at Core for five years before. I have such tremendous respect for all the brokerages across the board. And ultimately, I mean, for us as brokers, regardless of where we work, we really do work in an intercollegiate system, you know, and for all of us to support what is long term good for us is what we should all be doing. So I frankly am a little shocked at some of the bigger, more established houses that have been around for so long who are not taking the same stance. I will say, even though I haven't been following it extremely closely, um, this is the first time in about a year that I've loved having Facebook and I've loved checking Facebook actively because in the last year, it's all, all been about Trump and horrible politics, and I just don't care what you think. And um, But now, I've really loved especially what Perola was saying. Leonard Steinberg recently came out um, talking about Australia. how like, Beautiful really piece. defending Beautiful brokers piece. and mm-hmm. how hard this business Wait, is. And, talk and about that. you know, something that Zillow quoted or Street yeah, Easy no, quoted about. person made an extremely disparaging comment exactly. about brokers saying, verbatim, this is verbatim, they've they made a comment saying that a broker can post a listing and potentially collect thousands of dollars of commission for potentially no work. And one of my one of the best things about it, actually, but it's you, crazy. But wait, seriously, go check the post because recently other brokers from other firms that aren't Compass mm-hmm. have been defending Leonard. And like one of my favorite brokers, Fabian Lecole at Corcoran, she wrote this huge thing to Leonard's response, and it was just very cool. As Pearl saying, like the intercollegiate. This this is the quote that Leonard wrote about from the New York Post. Consider that they uh, earn thousands of dollars in commissions per listing for potentially no work. That said from a spokesperson at Street Easy to the New York Post on August 2nd of this this month. And what is hypocritical about that is it's actually Street Easy that is collecting money for absolutely no work. and, and And they've built a great site. They are making so much money on advertising dollars. Yeah. Street Easy made so much money when it was sold. Yeah, and we're giving them information so for free that they're, they're selling back money. to you. We're actually paying them money, and they're saying this about us. So if, right. if, you, if you owned a, a television network and you had us, uh, your newscaster saying disparaging things about your advertiser, exactly. you know, whether it's you know uh, Under Armour or if it's like Starbucks, and Starbucks has terrible coffee – you think they're they're not going to pull their advertising? It's insane. I looked and at. They, I they looked, don't even understand basic business practices. I looked. It's embarrassing. I looked at Zillow's annual report because I was kind of curious, and it, it showed that over ninety two percent of their <clears> revenue comes from brokers. Actually, it's probably more like ninety nine percent, but I didn't want to say that because I could only verify from the report that showed at least ninety two percent. So basically, you're you're you're. I mean, look what you're doing to the people. Your customer. That's they don't your even customer. understand their own business. They don't right. understand the business they're in. Uh, right. It's, all right, let's move on. We've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. As top brokers make jumps from one firm to another and well-established brokerages open outposts in the outer boroughs, the residential in- uh, real estate industry is experiencing a new wave of young people as the profession modernizes. Last May, the National Association of Realtors reported that younger realtors were entering the industry around the nation and most particularly here in large cities like New York. Technology and social media is indeed increasing in popularity in the industry's in the industry nationwide. So my question to all of you, and you should see this collection of beautiful young people I'm sitting in front of, quite amazing. Has the technology in this world really persuaded younger people to become real estate agents in our industry? When I joined this this business 15 years ago, I was you know considered young and I was not so young, but it was really an older profession, second, third, fourth careers. Today, people come right out of school 
jump into this business and become superstars. So what, is it based on the technology and our social media uh, presence think, or I is it more? I think Noah should take this one. Uh, <laughs> Noah, it's all you. Yeah, so basically I think that um, you know new apps like uh, Instagram is now the thing. It's no longer Facebook, I would say. Instagram is really uh, making it. Now. I see all these posts by real estate agents you know, with, with hashtags for this and that all over the country following me um, just because I put a hashtag real estate. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think what's happening is real estate is becoming more approachable to people who are not in the industry and they think that, um, you know, they just get more excited, they get more passionate about the real estate industry just through posts and beautiful pictures. But do you think though that the, the reason that a lot more younger people are coming into the business is because of the technology or is it just because they hear that it's a fascinating business and there's a lot of money? I agree with you. I think it's a lot of TV. In fact, I think Matt and I were both pointing to Noah to answer this question because he is part of the Ryan Serhant team. And I really do think that we all sort of thought TV was a question mark. I mean, do we want the type of spotlight that Bravo or, you know, other networks could potentially put on real estate? And what's really interesting is regardless of, you know, some of the storylines, which is just makes for good TV, um, what I think it has really done is created and a, a sort of um, an acceptance towards real estate that was not there prior to television, you know? And, and I think Selling New York did a great job of really focusing on transactions and showcasing what brokers really do and what we're really, the level of creativity and fun that's involved in the yeah. business. All right, we're going to pick up on this on the other side of the break. Unfortunately, we have to take a break. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will come right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. And we before the break, we were talking about how younger brokers or com- younger agents are coming into the business, a very successful business, and finding success relatively quickly. Perul's point about television, I think, is a good one. Um, but do we want to stay say that it is really just because of TV, or is it because of the allure of the big incomes that people can make in this business, in this industry, from a millennial perspective versus waiting to in your 30s and 40s to establish the kind of wealth or earnings that you want to want to make especially here in New York City because you can you can make a very good very significant living here as a real estate agent i i mean coming from investment banking i i still speak to a lot of the people i used to work with um and so we came from this very tight buttoned up you know group and everyone over time uh, or over the last eight years really wants to get into something that's a little more flexible, a little more lenient. And so that's why a lot of them, yeah, independence is what really a lot of people that I used to work with work in tech. They work for Google. They work for, you know, Snapchat, all these things. But a lot of them also talk about coming into real estate because of that exact idea. But actually the reason I pointed to Noah was because speaking of approachable, I mean, it's, it's also people, you know, I think real estate used to be looked at something that was filled with older people that were very buttoned up and it was very suit and tie. It was very like, you know, the, the stay at home mom who does it on the side, like not to generalize, but now they're seeing it's getting younger. They're seeing it's becoming more casual things on TV, things like Noah did this amazing YouTube video that makes it more approachable. And I think it makes it more exciting to younger people. And, you know, and so I think there's two points to that. One was, it's kind of interesting how real estate is such a big ticket item, and yet it was considered to be that sort of stay-at-home mom job to do. Um, There was a stigma attached to it. I mean, when I came from a strategy consulting background, and so those of us who come from like these buttoned-up backgrounds, it was really, I mean, I had to make a psychological adjustment with my own sort of judgments, you know? And I felt quote unquote, embarrassed a little bit. And I'm granted, I'm like 10 years ahead of what people are thinking of real estate now. But back then, I mean, I really felt like a stigma, like how could you possibly go from this super buttoned up place to like what is considered to be sort of a seedy profession. And what I'm so proud of is that we've really pivoted that into such a professional kind of industry where it, as it should be because it really is I mean it's a huge industry and I'm great I'm just so grateful and happy that we're really converting it into the profession that it should and look I like. And I also attributed to a lot of the <clears throat> younger folks coming into the business today because they've taken it on in a very different way than the older people coming from other established industries and yeah technology and Instagram and, and Facebook and whatever else and all these stories I mean you know when I see a broker friend of mine on I- Instagram or Facebook whatever I'm interested to see what they're posting and I know a lot of people are interested to see what I post I mean I I, you know I get I'm getting bit all of a sudden I'm getting business from Facebook and I mean a lot of it and I and I sit back and I think well you know wow just a year ago I was a proponent saying yeah 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 you know you get leads you get leads you get leads and everybody was saying no 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 you don't I can now show you at least six Six opportunities in the last um, five weeks. You don't even really have to post specifically anymore. from <coughs> Instagram. You can put things on the story. Like yesterday, you were coming Correct. in this morning. I was at a building that was upstate New York. That's but right. Nine people sent me a message back <laughs> saying, "Where is this building? Right. What are you doing with it?" Right. It was and amazing. I almost did the same thing, but I asked you about it this morning. I uh, thought that was one of the buildings I'll, that you were buying. I'll, I'll add like a little uh, tail into this. Um, I have a lot of my friends uh, approach me. 
uh, for jobs or, you know, for, you know, trying to find out a way to crack into the industry. And, um, you know, it's mostly off my Instagram and Facebook to like, Oh, you live this fairy tale life, but they didn't really see what came like before (laughs) the first year. The first, first, year, first five, six. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, do. no, I mean, it's so I, I think a lot of, I think there's like a broad perception just across all industries since they're so visible now that it's like kind of easy to break in and like it's kind of easy to to do our jobs. Um, you know, I, I, I just think that um, a lot of people do want to do it because of million dollar listing and HGTV and Instagram. But, um, you know, the reality is, is if you don't have like a book of business coming into it, it's going to be pretty tough the first couple of so years. That's what I was going to say. Actually, it's a hard I, business. I was going to say that I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily easier. It appears easier <clears throat> through all these different platforms. Well, they don't. Yeah, they just don't see the in between. The Correct. they don't see the in between like the you know fancy pictures and stuff like. What that. What also drives me crazy is they see gross. It always says gross commission. They don't see you spend fifty thousand dollars. Never, never count another broker's money. Exactly. That's like so whatever, never know what that's they got. also what social media is for. It's to make everything look a little prettier. But you know what, though? Well, I also think it's bred a little... that's very true and a very that's good the, point. That's the problem. I do think technology has bred a, a certain level of honesty into the in the, into the system because 10 well, years ago, the whether it, yeah. a broker was in, you know, it, in their first year or their seventh year, had listings or didn't or whatever, it was, it, it was really tough for the consumer to see w- who they were signing up with. I think now there's also a natural order due to technology that's happening in our industry where younger people who want to join are smart enough to recognize that the way to do it now is to join a team to properly learn the business. And it's not as much of cowboy land as it used Bingo. to be. Yeah. Yeah. I just I say agree. something. I, know, I hate to always bring up Street Easy, but, but what you just said about what you just said about how technology is helping with transparency and those kind of things. It was. I, right. Well, that's the thing. It was. I totally yes. agree. It wasn't until about was. three weeks ago. But that's the thing. The, the industry is heading that way. That's where technology is taking us. Street Easy is taking us back. That's Agreed. a huge problem. 100%. And the firm that's going to embrace technology and embrace the openness and, and transparency is the firm that's going to make it, not right. not Street Easy, not the way they're going. All right, right. Let, let's let's move on. Our topic of the week is Brooklyn. So you, I, mean, you know, I said at the top of the show, you want to live in Brooklyn, good luck. Why do I say that? Well, sales inventory has dropped significantly as the median house prices rise it's becoming increasingly diff- more difficult to buy a home in the borough, according to new data released by StreetEasy and other uh, other sources. Sales inventory dropped by 13.1% in the second quarter of this year from the same period a year ago. So I say what's happening in Brooklyn. Now, I said before, uh, Noah Kaplan is here. He works on the Ryan Serhant team, uh, who's a million-dollar listing guy from NetSeekers. And Ryan and his team uh, are the exclusive sales team for 868 Lorimore on the park, situated at the border of Williamsburg and Greenpoint on McCarran Park. The building has 14 two- and three-bedroom homes, all with private outdoor space, starting at $1.575 million. There are currently four units available uh, plus the penthouse. And if you remember from watching the show, he picked up about 100 houses last year, I think, into this year for sale on the market in Brooklyn. So you being, you know, front and center on the Sirhan team, what, what what's happening in Brooklyn? And why all of a sudden such a, a, a resurgence of opportunity that, you know, it's always been there, but it just seems to have bubbled up over the last year, more so than ever. Well, Manhattan's stale and Brooklyn's hot. Yeah, so, well. I mean, ultimately, there's all sorts of opportunities in Brooklyn to, on the development end and on the end user end, um, to, to, to find great opportunities. Um, I, I said that twice, but, but ultimately... Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of action in Bedside. We're seeing a lot of action in Crown Heights. I'm, you know, launching. And explain to the viewers out there who aren't familiar with sure. Bedside and Crown Heights sure. what types of neighborhoods they are, where they came from, and where they're going today. Because uh, people hear Brooklyn and they just don't necessarily know 
the pockets of Brooklyn that we're talking about. True. So a lot of people think, when they think Brooklyn, they think Williamsburg, mm-hmm. um, they think uh, neighborhoods that are closer to the river, right? It's like when you first get off the subway, they're thinking of those neighborhoods. Uh, a lot of the neighborhoods that have opportunities now are further into Brooklyn, um, east of Prospect Park, north of Prospect Park, east of Williamsburg, uh, you know, sort of the Bushwicks, the bed the Crown Heights, the Flatbushes, the, you know, Prospect Leopards Gardens is the new one. That's the, that's east of Prospect Park. It's the last neighborhood, um, you know, from a realtor sense, um, to be sort of developed. Um, and so I'm actually launching a 20-unit building there, a luxury rental building right now, um, because developers see the opportunity there. Developers see the opportunity, then they create a, a great product, and then people see the opportunity and they get excited about Noah, it. Noah, for so. all the all the wonderful projects that are happening there yeah. and, and, and the converting of some of these neighborhoods like Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights, yeah. where are the buyers coming from? Are they coming from Manhattan? Where are they coming from ge- in general? Interestingly enough, we're seeing a lot of uh, sales product, like new awesome development in Bed-Stuy that's being coveted by people in Williamsburg, actually. Interesting. We're a lot of buyers coming from you know, much more, more expensive product in Williamsburg that want to that want to have a nice life, but not have to pay, you know, f- uh, hand over fist for yeah. it. Yeah, I was just going to say that that I think that it's that it's it's, it's bang for buck, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense that even as Brooklyn prices, even in these more prominent neighborhoods, are soaring. So the the not the neighborhoods that are by the water. Uh, you still tend to get a sense of more bang for buck. I mean, there's still a huge differential between 13, 15, 1700 a square foot to like 2000, 2500 a square foot on the same level of a new development between Manhattan and Brooklyn. And then when you go further into Brooklyn, you still have great accessibility to transportation. Um, the commutes are still, you know, reasonable, and yet you get so much. And given the amount of demand that is growing, anybody who is investment focused is going to see the opportunity in buying at the prices that we can still buy right now, and then grow with the market. So but there's also, many you, good Matt, reasons. You just closed on a townhouse out in Brooklyn. What what brought your buyers out there um, to purchase, you know, a, a house in, in Brooklyn? Why? So actually, they're long term clients of mine, and and to know. And Pearl's point, they um, I helped them by years ago. They moved to Hong Kong for work, and when they moved back, all their friends were living in Bed Stuy and Bushwick and Park Slope. And um, you know, they wound up buying one of these brand new two-family spec homes in Bushwick. And I mean, unbelievable! There was a bidding war of over ten buyers, and it, it was just incredible. On and that house, the whole in particular? process. What on that particular house? On that particular What's house, um, it was one five five. Nice. And yeah, it so was, it's had, huge. It's like a 4,000 square foot house. I mean, it's not too so long ago they were selling for four and 500,000. But it's also right. so close to the yeah. L train. Right. And, um, but I, I was going to say, actually, outside of my own clients, talk about connecting to topics. Talk about social media in Brooklyn. I, I think that a lot of people, once you go outside of New York City and, and you don't actually focus on people that are, you know, transitioning from different neighborhoods to other neighborhoods. Talk about people that are not in the city and talk about what they're seeing when they watch TV shows and movies. They're seeing Brooklyn, Girls, Bushwick. Um, Jessica James, this new hot movie that's on Netflix, takes place Girls in Bushwick. Is in Bushwick? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's what put Girls Bushwick on the map. And, you know, all these shows have NYU students living in Williamsburg and, and Bushwick and play, Crown Heights and places that they can afford. Um, to, I mean, if you really want to take a step back before any of this happened, 
when you know later on Sex in the City, Miranda was moving out to Brooklyn with her husband I'm and just having gonna say, children. We need Sarah Jessica I mean, with her heels out there in Bushwick. Now, now you really put that on the map. Right? <laughs> no, it's really like it's been on the map for a while, and I think that social media and the media in general has been putting Brooklyn on the map over the years. I think. I mean, I've just. From experience living on McCarran Park, for example, I mean, I think the quality of life when you get off the train is kind of higher. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're in lower line buildings, you have more green space. It's just a nicer, you know, and I'll, and I'll tell you, I showed a, yeah, I, cho- I showed a townhouse and Park Slope yesterday for seven and a half million dollars. Oh my God. It, it, was, it was a really nice renovation, but it's like 4,500 square feet. So you're also seeing ultra luxury buyers enter the Brooklyn market too. And I think that part of the market's going to see um, a right. lot, we, of, we, lot we, more traffic. We, we have to leave it there, take a break first. But first, you're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. When we come back, our own Ray Lord will talk about the Hamptons. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are talking to Ray Lord from Douglas Elliman, Sean McPeak from Compass, Parul Brombat from Compass, Phil Horrigan, leasebreak.com, Matthew Cohen from CORE, and Noah Kaplan from the Sirhan team at Nest Seekers International. So, there's more than just the stock market that's soaring this hot July. Buyers in the Hamptons are taking some of their equity in stocks and plunking down uh, more for homes along the South Fork Resort towns. Uh, the median sale price for a single-family Hamptons house has reached a record $1.07 million. Thought it was higher than that. Uh, up 7.5% from a year ago, according to a report late last week by appraiser uh, Miller Samuel and the brokerage firm Douglas Elliman. And the higher end seems to be flourishing as well, with 48 homes priced at $5 million or higher being sold in the last three months leading up to the summer season, the most for any quarter since the end of 15. So, Ray, what's happening here? Actually, you were quoted in uh, Bloomberg News an article that says Hamptons home prices set a, a record of $1.07 million. But you say, even when the numbers make sense, buyers will say, I don't want to pay full asking price. Everybody seems to still be looking for a bargain. Well, we have the exact same thing here in Manhattan. But 
why the surge out east? What's going on? Well, I think you covered a lot of it in what you said in the, the initial part of that was the stock market is doing very, very well. So to be honest, a lot of people I talk to that are in finance are just kind of waiting for a correction in the market. So they're, they'd rather take that money out now and put it into something tangible that they can use, touch, feel, et cetera, and just wait it out at that point because then they can rent it. Um, that was always the business model, you know, in the years that I remember, you know, running around out there because it's, I think, solid investing out east because, you know, the markets fluctuate all over the place as it does here in Manhattan. But when you invest in a good property out there, and right now prices are pretty decent, you know, that always always uh, only appreciates and it's a it's an asset that you know you keep and, and by the way if you can't use it in the summer months you rent it out what kind exactly. of a beautiful business plan is that right so i have so many friends actually one of our panelists here has two places out uh, in east hampton one in bridgehampton one in montauk and she rents one out and she enjoys the other one so i i thought though that the average price of the house is more than 1.07 it doesn't seem like that's the right number everyone does though but you have to realize there's a lot of property out in east hampton and there's in the Hamptons in general, and people just visualize it as this very small, like kind of block island sense of geography, and it's really not. You have thirty square, thirty miles along the coast. It's dense. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of property. There's nineteen thousand full-time residents in East Hampton. There's probably more now. Nineteen thousand, really? Yeah, there's a lot. And what's what's happening is you were saying <clears throat> the luxury market having more sales. The the problem with a lot of statistics is that. You can sell one house for $30 million, and all of a sudden it seems right. like there's a lot more right. happening than it really is. Right. But well, <laughs> it's like the $80 million penthouse here. When you look at the, the average numbers, the median numbers, everything gets skewed because of those fantastical high-end, you know, uber crazy numbers. So yeah. I, I guess it's the same out there, but I just know the region out there so, so well. And I just think that even, you know, the, the more modest homes are at least a million, million two maybe 900. Can you find something out there that, that, and I use the word decent loosely, but decent for like six or $700,000 today? 600 is a little tough right now. Yeah. You could have like a year ago. Now it's very, very tough. I was just at uh, an open house of a, a property that came out. It was a total gut renovation. It was on a half acre for 550. And open houses are not like the city. They are not really attended. If you get like five people through, you're doing, right. you're doing well. In 45 minutes, there was 28 people through this this house, and I was like, "What is going on?" And I was I happened to be meeting another Douglas Elman agent there who was thinking about buying it, and I just said to her, "You you're going to need to overbid on this because if you really want it, it's case in point. The traffic is is telling you what the market is right now." My sister just sent me a listing the other day for a a, a three or four bedroom house in Bedford Hills, beautiful mm-hmm. part of Westchester mm-hmm. County, for five sixty nine, and she says, "What are your thoughts?" And so I looked at the picture, Zillow. I said, run, yeah. run, run, and and just snap it up because how could you not? I mean, the yeah. house was on acres of property. It was magnificently redone. It's a great area. And I said, run. Don't even, I don't even want to know. Just run. Yeah. And I, we'll see what the she's The biggest doing. thing I find wow. is people will call me up and the the article with Bloomberg is a lot of people will call me and just say, I'm like, you know, give me your criteria. What are you looking for? And their response almost always is, I'm looking for a deal. Mm-hmm. And Without even thinking about it, I just respond back, take a number. I mean, everyone's looking for a deal. You never find a deal. Whether you're in Manhattan, whether you're in the Hamptons, whether you're in Miami, you make a deal. And people have to realize that. Ray, I love that. So help me make the listening audience out there, most especially the people in New York listening, that you have to make a deal. You can't find a deal because deals, you know, everybody wants a bargain today and you really can't do that. You know, if there's a little room in the the purchase price because it may be a little off, you can kind of settle that. But 
finding deals and what, what people mean by deals is they want to steal something. Yeah. Doesn't happen. And it certainly doesn't happen in the Hamptons. I also think that to Ray's point, um, you know, making a deal. So I think a lot of deals, whether you're out east or in the city, um, need a lot of work or need work well, in right. general. And I think what people don't realize is that especially out east, work is not cheap. Mm-hmm. Work is definitely not cheap, but it is easier than Manhattan. For it's sure. easier and it's less time involved, but it's not cheap because you've got to kind of import stuff out there. So, all right, you'll be back soon to give us more of an update on the Hamptons. Um, let's move on. What does, and this is an interesting topic, what does a real estate agent do? Where do you start? Trying to explain to the public out there how real estate agents spend their time is akin to explaining what a doctor or lawyer does all day. There's a lot more that goes into uh, treating patients or handling legal matters, and the same goes for helping people buy, sell, or rent property. So for those out there who, as Parul said earlier, watched the, 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 the million-dollar listings and the Selling New Yorks and all the real estate-related shows, it looks glamorous and it looks wealthy and it looks like a whole bunch of things. But you know, when you peel back that onion and when you turn the television off and we get up every morning and we have our coffee and we go to work to support and service our customers – what is it that we do and what do our clients really look to us for? Let's correct that for a second. You're having your coffee on the go. Yeah, on the go. Exactly. That's it. You're on the go. There's a lot of pressure around what, the what table. What don't you do? Start yeah. there. To, to Sean's I mean, point this is an earlier, important fact. Well, wait. Yeah. So Sean said earlier, I think all of us can probably relate because we're all young and we're all in the industry. So when other people want to get into the, into the industry, they approach us and they ask us advice and they ask us different things about it. Um, I guess Billy Madison, where I grab their face and I say, "Don't you ever say that." Don't you ever say that. <laughs> That's a great movie. Well, the, I mean, it the really first is. thing, the first thing I say before holding their face and jiggling it, um, I will, I will say to them, "Take some psychology classes." Um, <laughs> That's a good advice. Because honestly, uh, sign up for some therapy. I mean, I, you know, I, I think seventy-five percent of what we do is just psychological. It's, it's, it's the strategy is psychological, the pricing is psychological, and dealing with your clients is all psychology. It, and, and yeah, the market's it's, great. It's perception driven, so psychology yeah, yes. is an extremely important. I would part. say another thing, uh, coming from someone who has textbook ADD, I would say that being on top of it is absolutely like the thing. I think an, a great agent is someone who gets up in the morning um, and they're constantly on top of whatever their client is is. If it's a buyer client, what they're looking for, or if it's a seller client, what's going on in the marketing of the property. And so when the street easies of the world say that we don't do anything. That's that could be like totally. <laughs> assi- it's totally not reality. In well, reality, that's a that's a shame. That's really right. A shame. If you're if you're if you're a successful agent, you are on top of it and from start to finish, and you're constantly thinking of ways to improve the experience, both for the buyer, I mean, the seller, or the renter. I mean, does anyone have like a good anecdote of something just? you know, totally not, nothing to do with the real estate transaction. I mean, I've supervised construction projects, like literally, mm-hmm. I've, oh you know, my God, yes. well. I've, you know. When you're, when you're working <laughs> yeah. on site and I'm working on a new b- development building, you're involved in everything, construction-wise, interior yeah, like design-wise, when, selling-wise. I've I actually mean, really incredible. enjoyed the new season of Million Dollar Listing because Steve, the, what they show about Steve Gold, a lot of it is actually very I like true. Him. Like he he goes there, he has to move shit around the apartment to get a show ready. Mm-hmm. He has to like deal with the dogs. I mean, it's that's true. actually much more to the actuality. And of not the only I mean, that, to 
<clears throat> Sean's point, how many times have we walked dogs, right? Yeah. Or, or try to catch a cat who's, you know, running out the door and running yeah. down the flight of stairs. Yeah, I mean, a bed before. Yeah, or, oh, or, or, be or cleaned up somebody's point. kitchen, cleaned off the countertops yeah. almost before every open house. <clears throat> every yeah. showing. Every My least house. favorite is the litter box. Um, mm. <laughs> like, yeah, I had a lady with two that. cats yeah. and it was oh, like God, every Sunday no. open house. I had to like go there, air it out early, light some candles. Yeah, but you know, more than that, actually, a friend of mine who's a comedian actually did a bit about this. And he's like, you know what? It's like my mom looks at my pictures on Facebook and it's just like, wow, you're always out having a great time. Right, and you're exactly. like, well, you're not watching me sitting at my desk banging my head against the wall because I can't come up with the next joke. Well, isn't that what so, what, what Instagram and, and I think you guys said it before and Facebook and social media really is about? We show the, the, the glamorous side, the pretty side, Matt said before, of what we do every day because that's what people want to see. That yeah. helps us well, sell. You're but say, behind you- the scenes, just like the million dollar guys and the, and the other real estate shows shows, you know, behind the scenes, it's banging your head against the wall sometimes yeah. and, and really pulling your hair out because stupid things happen that th- you just can't control. I think part of that, though, is because when we have that downtime, we can make it look glamorous. In the other time, it's just a calamity of everything going on, and you don't have time to sit there and do social media. Like You, you can't see the crazy because we don't have time to, to show you the crazy. And especially right? what a lot of people don't realize is we don't just work on one transaction at a time. We can be involved in five or six different deals and then showing buyers uh, all day long, running around while deals are happening behind you that you got to yeah. monitor. So it's not like we do one task at a time like you do in There's corporate. A huge art we have a whole management. basket full of things going you on, know, and time management is interesting. Uh, Vince, really. to, to your point, with one of the problems and the reason why the people out there, the consumer sometimes thinks that we don't do any work is let's say take a rental person, that one person comes to a rental and they pay a broker fee. And from their experience, from that consumer's experience, they saw an apartment for five minutes yeah. and they just paid you yeah. thousands of dollars. Yes. So that's part of the challenge I think as real estate agents that we have because right. these, the average consumer feels like, we're not doing anything because they don't see the kind of behind the scenes. So especially, I, that's why I think it's really hard, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, to enter the industry as a young agent because I think what happens is, especially on the rental side, I have no problem with technology because it's helping. I hopefully it's helping everyone, uh, you know, do you know, sort of real estate be a better experience for everyone. But I think, especially as an agent, it's hard to break in where it used to, where it used to be able to help a renter find a, a bunch of places. Now all that information is on the internet. Where our value usually comes in is at a higher price point. I would say at like for instance, for me, if I'm working with renters. I usually work with a renter above $3,000. Why? Because they can actually afford a fee and I don't feel like I'm taking away something from them. And also, typically, if they have that money, they have a hot, they're, they're working longer hours, they're, they're making more money at their job. And so I actually am giving them a service by doing all that research while they're at work. They may not have as much time. so they Also, the market knowledge is the biggest component. I think that with and not to try, I'm not trying to pick on Street Easy, but because there's so much information out there without context, people think that they can go out there and do this on their own when they have no understanding of genuine comparative value, whether it's sales or rentals, where they're missing out, where they're overpaying, you know, and there's so much smoke and mirrors that I say to buyers who walk into my open houses without brokers, what I say to them is you can work with me, you cannot work with me, but please for your own sake, my advice to you is get an agent to represent you because the, it is virtually free. There's a small percentage of brokers that may not, you know, m- may prefer directs over not and whatnot. But the overall value that you get for that, you know, 
give you know give or take two percent that you might think you're going to save by not having a broker on the buy side, which you're not paying out of your pocket anyway. Um, you know, the just the disservice you're doing to yourself is so egregious. All right, so we have to take a break. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Sorry, guys. We will be right back after these messages, and we will continue with this cast of characters. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas, we are the extraterrestrial rock show airing every Saturday afternoon on the voiceamerica.com variety channel. <laughs> Whatever happens out and about, it kind of dictates our conversation. For sure. And we like to tie in a little bit of the past and obviously keep it real current. And real current was a couple nights ago right here in Phoenix. A phenomenon happened. On Thursday night. Phenomenon. 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 All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our last segment. Ray Lord from Douglas Elliman, Sean McPeak, Compass, Peru, Brunbeck, Compass, Bill Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Matthew Cohen, Core, and Noah Kaplan today from Nest Seekers International, the Sirhan team. So... Fashion mogul Eli Tahari has rented his over-the-top oceanfront Sagaponic estate from nearly $800,000, full asking price, by the way, for the summer, to a mystery tenant. This isn't the first time it has rented. Last year, a huge uh, hedge funder nabbed the place, also for $800,000, but just for July and August. The stunning home is 4,500 square feet, which actually passes for cozy on the east end. Isn't that something? Built in 1998, the pad at 135 Crestview Lane comes with three bedrooms and three bathrooms. It sits on two and a half acres, uh, has a pool, of course, and boasts 250 feet of oceanfront. So, I mean, who does this? I mean, who, who spends $800,000 for a summer season? The Hamptons summer season ah, typically, Alexa, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the Hamptons. is Memorial Day to Labor Day. So you're talking three months? $800,000. I mean, the, the well, How do you typical. justify this? The typical renter was Memorial Day, Labor Day. I find that um, more and more... You know more, who this renter is? Uh, you don't I, have to tell us. N- no. Okay. Um, <laughs> you have such a bad poker face. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we're uh, on radio in that case. No, or I have a great poker face. I would never tell you. Um, no, the, the typical person that rents it is it, they're, they're most generally executives, people that own companies. It, the wow. joke of Jeff, Jeff Bezos, but it's really those caliber of people that own companies, start things like that. 
And there are companies that like sell screws and iPhones. Like it's ridiculous. So here's the age old question. So if they can spend eight hundred thousand dollars for three months, why can't they buy something? It's not that they, they can't it's a, like buy a one off. It's to them the value in renting that is you have much more value in buying something that's twenty five, thirty million dollars and then you, you spend two weeks there. It's, it's the same reason why people don't buy yachts. They rent them. Right. Unless you're Jeff Bezos there. And think about else. the maintenance. And also think about the expectations. If he's renting an $800,000 house, then you're expecting that to be for sale for what? Like $30 million? And then on top of that, the maintenance of keeping up the $30 million it's, house? It's, I see the same thing in a New York market. It's like, yeah, the, the market's deep enough to you know gobble up all these ultra-luxury apartments and you know big houses like that. But they just want to leave. And yeah. there's... You know, they do see value in it. And there's billionaires in New York City that live in $3,000 a month studios. That's a fact. Yeah. It's like set it and forget it. You don't want to have to deal with the stuff afterward. You'd rather just rent it and then call the landlord and there's a problem. Relative. To them, it's, it's all like, relative. Right, to them, it's like us renting a $5,000 it, apartment. It's a summer holiday. Right, you know? exactly. I mean, I mean they have, these are billionaires in some cases. Well, even, even at the 20000 a month price point, I mean, I was going around with a client uh, about a year ago. Nothing. And you don't get much. Like, you're, you know, if you're looking, if you have a Not specific. Anymore. Yeah, no. if, you have a speci- if you want a loft in Soho, uh, good luck. I remember once renting a property in East Hampton for um, $26,000 for the season with a friend, and we thought, oh my God, $26,000. Well, it, it's a relative bargain. <laughs> it's a but, car. But 10 years, whatever it was, 15 years ago, it was like, wow, really? $26,000? And this did not have a pool. Anyway, on the flip side of all the luxury, we're going to talk about the trend towards tiny houses and tiny apartments. New York City's trend for smaller living spaces has come back. In 1987, New York City imposed a zoning restriction on apartments with less than 400 feet, classifying them as unsafe for living. Couldn't sell them, couldn't rent them. Now, after 29 years, 29 years, micro apartments have made a comeback to the market. Micro apartments are one of the uh, solutions to the expensive rents in the city. They give you the opportunity to live and work in the city. Living in a micro apartment is no different from living in any other size apartment except the size. So I say, does size matter? I mean, no. Come on now, space is space. And they've, they've. I- I don't like the trend, but I, I got to say the micro apartments have made like a tremendous strides in like innovations for like space saving and you know, I, the way they're the way they're laying these out. And I think they can be applied to bigger apartments. But but I mean, I think they're sometimes talking about 300 and 350 square feet. I, think I people started in the studio and it was really tiny. But I know, you know, for an extended period of time, I'm not quite sure a small space like that is is healthy. Is, you know, the reason why these were zoned unsafe back in the day and why are they safe now? I don't know that. I'm kind of curious about that. Um, I but, remember, though, when they became when so one of the mayors declared it unsafe to live in a smaller space. But I wasn't in the business then and I don't really remember the, the okay. particulars. I'm wondering, are they safe now? I mean, why they, well, they say they are safe. My questions. assumption, and this is just yeah. a guess, but it seems like it might be about like the amount of light and air that is healthy for a person to be sort of living. Is that considered to be an appropriate living accommodation? So situation? maybe like the new technology is allowing there to be better. Light I just think and we've changed the maybe. definition of what oh, we now consider it, to be healthy. I also <laughs> because we don't have a lot of inventory that you know if you can justify a 400 square foot studio, 350 square foot studio. Yeah, it com- comes, with a, comes with a meditation membership, you know. I think it's also if you're using it full time or part time. Right, because for me, day. for example, yeah. I bought a 310 square foot studio, even though you don't list the square footage. But, but you've got beautiful outdoor space, because too. I'm there 55 days out of the year. Right. Correct. Correct. Well, not only that, here's the other aspect of it, too. I mean, I said this, I think I said it on the air like three years ago or something, back when Billionaire's Row was like hot and heavy. 
Um, and I said, you know, what I foresee is just like every other place where taxes become something that's just unmanageable or large spaces become less and less attractive because they just become so many people get priced out of being able to purchase those. That if you look at the trends globally, if you look at Hong Kong, if you look at Singapore, if you look at certain other places where prices are really high, what you see is this trend downward, including Long Island, right? So it really isn't forward thinking to think that these huge spaces are the way to go. And as affordability becomes questionable, the smaller spaces is what is the natural alternative. Louise Phillips Forbes tells us about her her (laughs) tiny house in Montauk in some kind of club out there. I can't remember the name of it, but I'm sorry. I was I was trying to give credit to parole because (laughs) no because you bring up the trend so trends actually i always find they usually flow out of the city and and i think it's really exciting to see a trend flow into the city so Mm -hmm. the the trend is you know throughout the country is actually micro living and especially la and san francisco and clients of mine who live here and in connecticut actually just um they are developing a piece of property they have like like two acres that they have into seven homes i mean it's it's definitely a trend that's wow. coming here and and probably the most important place that you mentioned is hong kong because mm-hmm. yes. a one bedroom there is like 3 to 4 million dollars and really- so that's the trend of when you're getting into the There's people luxury. living like what they call like coffin apartments, where it's right. just exactly. A bed. It's in Hong Kong too. It's literally. I think I think okay. it's a I think it's like an a, an Asian uh, import, honestly. This and you know what? They have great skin. So power to them. Well, listen, <laughs> you know, I don't think you met these guys, the ones we're talking about. It's interesting to me because New York City usually is the city that sets the trends, or at least in, in, in my history. And then all of a sudden, it seems like what you just said, Matt, you know, we're bringing in some trends from other places, which is kind of interesting. So the, the tables are flipped. We have a few minutes left in the segment before we go today. A couple of questions. Um, what is the current climate with mortgages and appraisals? Are we having problems with appraisals these days or are we just kind of flowing? I have not been having problems with appraisals. Same, I have um, if anything, actually, I've had appraisals come in a bit high lately. Um, which, higher than the contract price? Yeah, higher than the contract price. I which had is actually, I guess, new for a while. Um, but but mortgage-wise, you know, things are definitely tightening up. The banks are getting very, very uh, strict with regards to certain things. And the whole concept of a banker coming in who gets a huge bonus at the end of the year um, and doesn't have as much consistency as in his income is not the trend anymore. And they're really cracking down. And I can I can speak for myself because I close on my apartment in a few weeks and the bank has not been <laughs> great because, um, for example, like I have what they call thin credit, which means that I've used the same credit card for like seven years. <laughs> um, and, you know, so even though my credit is perfect, so they're really, really cracking down. Which what I think about is a mortgage good thing. contingencies? We seeing a lot of those these days? I'm seeing them more in resales. I'm still not seeing them in new developments. No, no, no. Resales. Well, right. We no, but do, there was a time where new developments were no, they were so no. you know discounting and negotiating so much that people would give contingencies instead of discounting it. Here's one: Has the search become longer or shorter for buyers in what we are not really declaring a buyer's market, but really a buyer's market? Has the search becoming longer or shorter? Uh, I think it's become a lot longer. I mean, part of it's inventory, part of it's sense of urgency. People just 
are motivated to make the jump or like you were saying before, they just expect a large discount off the asking price because something's been on the market for over three weeks. All right, we're going to leave it there. We are out of time. This is our show for today. Thanks to my guest, Noah Kaplan. Ray Lord, as always, we'll be back next week. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.